0: Glory is one of those words that is hard to put into to a definition, right? Uh, how do you take such a big concept as the glory of the Lord and, and somehow talk about it at, at Christmas or at any given time because it's so abstract and so big and so huge that it's hard to get our heads around? Think about the songs this morning. Almost every song had the concept of glory or glorious in it, didn't it? Uh, think, of it think about some of the words. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. So what are we saying when we say glory? Unto us a son is given. Glory to God in the highest. We sang a song titled Glory in the Highest. Glory in the highest heaven. Sing gracious peace on earth. Those on whom his favor rests. Exult in the Savior's birth. Sing choirs of angels. Sing in exultation. Sing all you citizens of heaven above. Glory to God. Glory in the highest. Well come all you faithful which we haven't sung yet today but it, it may be coming glorious night and so the, the the story of christmas has this idea of glory infused in it now the world doesn't know what to do with it so we call it the you know the magic of christmas and maybe have some snow machines going and and that that's great but we are here celebrating because god's glory was revealed at christmas His glory was revealed in the manger and his plan was started that ended at the cross and the empty tomb. And so when we come to glory, it it just makes sense to talk about it on a Sunday morning. Our theme this morning is interrupted by glory. And, And really we want to take two parts and we'll talk about the first part is we'll think about what glory is what it means, how glory was reflected in the manger. Then we'll sing a couple songs responding in worship, and then we'll come back and say, okay, how does that glory interrupt our lives? What difference does that make for us? In Luke chapter 2, a familiar part of the Christmas story with the shepherds, verse 8, we start with the idea of glory. And we read, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And we have to understand, and if you went through living nativities, the shepherds were some of the lowest of society. They were the ones outside of town. They were out there for long periods of time without showers, without contact with human beings. And and so these were the guys, the the men and women, that were feeling left out of society a bit. and were the outcasts of society, looked down on. And this is who God chose to make the first announcement of the birth of the king. He chose to make it to them. And they're out in their flock at night. And, and in that time, there there weren't a lot of street lights. There weren't a lot of traffic lights or building lights. It was dark. And they're out there watching the sheep at night, and it's dark. And then verse 9, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with, filled with great fear. Now, now, catch this verse, because this is a significant verse that talks about the glory of God. They're in this dark night. The angel of the Lord appeared to them. And, so this is separate from the angel, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. It would be like taking the darkest of night and and all of a sudden going to the entire sky as bright as it can be and that light isn't coming from the angel. That light is the glory of God surrounding them. And so when we think of glory, especially in the New Testament, the word actually means brightness. It means majesty. And it's the idea that the, the fullness of who God is all comes together into an overwhelming, amazing display of His glory. And, and the best way we can get our heads around that is really bright light, right? So for the kids, I want to do something. Adults, we can play along too, but I know the idea of glory is hard to see, but, but let's, let's, Let's illustrate this. Let's turn out all the lights that we can. I know we can't get the Christmas lights out. But turn out all the lights. Okay, it's sort of dark. It would have been a lot darker for the shepherds. So kids, you might want to close your eyes too. Okay? To just get how dark it was. And this not only represented the night, but for them it represented the world that they lived in. See, they had gone 400 years without hearing from a prophet. They had gone 400 years wondering where God was. His glory had left the temple, His presence had left, and they knew that God someday would come back in the Messiah, but they didn't know when. and so it was a dark night, but it was a dark world that Jesus entered into, and then, and, and we'll, we'll count down so we can get the effect of this. And so kids, if your eyes are closed, you 'll open them when I go, three, two, one, and then we're going to say "glory all together, and we 're going to turn on as many lights as we can, as bright as we can. three. Two, one, glory. Okay? That's nothing compared to what the shepherds experienced. But do you get the idea of it, kids? Do you get the idea of what's happening here? God's glory comes and His glory surrounds them. Now, in the middle of that glory, an angel is talking to them. And the angel said to them, "'Fear not, for behold, I bring you the good news of great joy that will be for all people.'" And he goes on to talk about the plan that will represent God's glory, that will illustrate God's glory. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased." And at that moment there is a sky full from horizon to horizon of brightness of God's glory, a sky full from horizon to horizon of angels, because just thousands and thousands and thousands of angels that are seeing glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among whom he is pleased. And so this idea of glory is this idea of brightness but it's it's because all of God's attributes are combined into one. I like to think of glory, the glory of God as a summary or a combination of everything about God, all together, and it's just whoa, right? What you did when the lights came on. And so this is the fullness of who God is. God is all powerful. God is all everything, and he is here. One of the things we see in the Old Testament is glory not only combined all of who God is, every part of God, but it always had this idea of God here with us, his presence with us. And so when God's glory was talked about, the cloud would fill the temple or the tabernacle or he'd be among the people. And so his glory, to see his glory is to see his presence. It's a manifestation of God's presence and power, Dodd writes. It's all of him all of his attributes wrapped up into one package. So this morning, when we think about glory, I want you to think about greatness and presence, okay? Greatness and presence. That's what we're talking about when we talk about God's glory. And it's him revealing himself to us. It's him coming to a people that are in a dark world that need the light. So I'd like to explore this a little bit in John 1.14, this idea of glory. Glory. Because that's the other place where we see glory in the Christmas story. As John is writing about the coming of the Messiah, and he's talking about what it means and, and the idea that God became flesh. And in John 1.14 we read, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. There's that word again, right? Greatness, presence. Got it? We have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace. And truth. And on the first page of your notes, the point number one, the first half of of, uh, talking together and thinking through this, we glimpse the magnitude of God's glory in the birth of Christ. We glimpse the magnitude of God's glory in the birth of Christ. We encounter the glory of God at the manger. We can't help but if we understand what's happening here, this is the best picture we have of God's glory according to God's Word. Because it says, we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So I'd like to unpack this verse in just a couple minutes this morning to help us just just blow our minds a little bit with the glory of God at Christmas. It starts in the Word became flesh. And so part of His glory, I mentioned, is His presence. And, And this deals with His presence. The Word became flesh. God incarnate. And so God became a baby. He became a human being. We know from John 1.1 1, 1 that the Word is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so God Himself, through His Son, becomes man, becomes human. The word for flesh there is just an ordinary run-of-the-mill human being. It's not a kingly human being. It's not like sort of becoming flesh or that maybe he's just pretending to be human or appearing to be human. He became human and his name is Jesus. Just get your heads around that for a minute. How God Almighty, the infinite we sang this morning, could end up as an infant. And this is part of God's glory that even has the power to do this. But then it goes on to say, and he dwelt among us. And so God became man, if you think of the sequence of the verse, God became man to live and to be with us. The word for dwelt there, and I I love this idea because we've studied the Old Testament as well. The word for dwelt there is tabernacled or tinted among us. And if you think back to the Old Testament, when the the children of Israel would stop, do you remember how they would lay out their, their camp? The tabernacle would be in the center representing the presence of God. The tent of God would be in the center. And then they would all, in a circle around the tent of God, set up their tents. And the idea was God is here with us. Now, they, they no longer have a tabernacle. And so God here is saying, Jesus Christ became a baby so he could be with us, so he could tent among us. This is a great statement of His presence. It's a reminder of where God's glory is. It used to be in the, the tabernacle. It used to be in the temple. Now God's glory is represented in Jesus Christ. But I love this idea because it reminds me that God came to be with us. We are not alone. Have you guys been tent camping before? And I've used this illustration before, but it's so vivid in my mind. I, we, we would take youth to missions trips. And often we're, we're camping in tents and we are literally three feet apart from each other, the tents. And in the next tent, they're having this incredibly private conversation. <laughs> and in the morning, I often pull them aside and say, you know, that was very interesting. <laughs> but you need to know that little tiny thin tent wall doesn't stop the sound waves. We're all here. I'm not the only one that heard all that. You might have some apologies to make today. <laughs> because when you're tenting together, you are living life together as one community. And, and the image that, that God uses here is that Jesus came to earth. He became a baby to tent among us, to live life with us, to live every part of life with us. The presence of God was localized in this baby, in Jesus. This baby was fully God and fully man. But this is the context where we could see see God. And so, tinting among us, living with us, we see his presence. It speaks of relationship. He wants relationship with us. So many times we think of Him coming just in terms of salvation. Now, don't get me wrong. Salvation is the rescue plan. It is the primary goal. But throughout Scripture, we see just as importantly a goal of God-wanted relationship with us. That's why He came as a human being. So He could walk with us. So He could talk with us. So He could live life with us. Adam and Eve were created for relationship with God Almighty. And we blew it. We messed it up with sin, and we disobeyed, and we broke that relationship. And now God sends his son as a human being to restore that relationship to tent among us. Now, now, this is all part of God's glory. Somehow we have to see God's glory in this manger, in this baby, in this act. This is all part of God's glory because it shows who he is. It shows His love and compassion and, and desire for a relationship. It shows His grace. The very fact He doesn't just wipe us off the face of the planet every time we sin is amazing. And it's His glory that patiently loves us and says, I have a way to forgive you. I have a way for you to be with me. And so we see in His tinting among us, His presence, a relationship. We see salvation I also love the idea that it's God taking the initiative. Do you know that none of us can save ourselves? None of us can overcome sin on our own. We need a savior. And God takes the initiative. God comes and it shows his attributes of grace and love. It shows who he is, that he is here. One other part of of God coming to earth and, and I think, and I've talked about this before, the fact that he came as an infant and he lived a full life uh, at the time, a full life on earth, is he's showing us that he has experienced life in this world. This is a fallen, messed up Genesis 3 world. It's a crazy world. And I would bet there are many here today that have been bruised by the, the darkness of this world. Not just internally, not just our own sin, but just the world around us. It beats us up sometimes because it has fallen and it is in need of a Savior. Jesus came into that world, lived 30 years in that world, under Roman rule, dealing with all the junk that was happening then. Because of that, He understands and He heals. We have a high priest who understands, Hebrews says, who has been through every temptation we can be through, has been through every trial we can be through, and he understands and is our advocate and is with us. See, Jesus knows this world's dark, and he came to redeem that. And he came to redeem the effects of that in your life, whatever those may be. He came to save you, but then if you're already saved, He understands and is with you through everything. Sometimes at home, when Susie's telling me something going on, sometimes I want to know, is this something I just need to listen? Or is this something I need to fix? Right? Husbands? Get it right. I've got to say, now we've talked about it. She's not in here, so I can say whatever I want. <laughs> um, she, she's caring for your babies right now. No, right now I just say, we're just open and say, now is this something you want me to fix or is this something you just want me to listen and care? And and I know that may sound like, oh, that's really cold. No, no, it works for us. And, I'm like, and if she says, listen, I'm like, great, I am present. I am here, tell me. And oh, I feel it. Um, <laughs> sincerely sincerely (laughs) but usually she says actually can you just fix this the incarnation that god became flesh god did both think about this he understands he listens he empathizes he's been through the trials we've been through but he also came to fix this world to reconcile creation to himself through the cross through the empty tomb and so we have a God who understands and fixes, who understand and cares. Think about that when we think about how this reflects God's glory. This act of coming to earth, this plan encompasses all of who God is. And that's why we say this represents his glory. He came to reveal Himself. The next phrase, which is the mind-boggling phrase, is, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father. Showing the credibility that Jesus can show the glory of God because He is the Son of God. He is the only one that can. And and John, this is one of the most important verses in the book of John. John is saying that this moment, this life, what Jesus did shows us God's glory more than any other thing. Do you remember the last time that someone asked, show me your glory? It was Moses and Mount Sinai in the Old Testament. Because God's glory wasn't visible in an accessible way like this. And Moses said, show me your glory. And God hid him in a cleft and passed by and he saw the backside of his glory. And what's interesting, in that text with Moses... We see God say this. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. His glory was represented in his love and faithfulness. Those words in the Hebrew, translated into the Greek, are grace and truth. God hasn't changed. And the same characteristics that he used to show his glory to Moses are the characteristics he uses to show his glory through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus embodies God's glory. Just like the tabernacle, it's a reminder of he's a reminder of God's presence. In this baby that that we celebrate at Christmas, we see God's love, we see his justice, we see his righteousness, we see his grace, we see his truth. Don't underestimate what you see in the manger. The very fact that God chose to be with us and was able to make it happen for the purpose of relationship and for the purpose of saving us and reconciling to himself, those are things that show his character like nothing else can. You are seeing God's glory as you celebrate Christmas. We think glory is this far off, over our heads thing we can't understand. This is God's glory. What he did and why he did it. This is why we sing glory to God. The last part of that verse reminds us that he came to save us. So he came as a man to have relationship with us, to reveal himself to us and now to love and to save us. As we go on and look at that verse, it says, And we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And a couple things I, I want you to get, get out of that, and, and don't miss the words here. Don't miss any of the words. Full of means... Full of. I, I, don't, I don't know how else to describe that. <laughs> full means completely full, Overflowing. If the Christmas tree is full of gifts, what does that mean, kids? There's one? There's a lot of gifts, right? It says here that Jesus, as a representative of God's glory, is full of God's grace. He is fully God and fully man. He is showing us grace and truth. And so this is complete grace. You know, we see the same thing in Colossians 2.9. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And so Jesus isn't just God light. He isn't just sort of God. He is God. And he embodies all of God's grace, all of his truth, all of his justice, all of his mercy, all of his love for us. And we need to see that in the manger. God manifested Himself most clearly when the Word became flesh. And so we see that His glory refers to His presence. And now in these, we have two more words, grace and truth. And I'd like to end this, this first part of this time, reflecting on grace and truth. Where would we be without grace? Where would you be without grace? Where would you be if no one ever forgave you for anything you had done, if everything you had done was held against you at this moment, man, we'd we'd be in a world of hurt. I'd be in a world of hurt. God shows His glory by showing the full extent of His grace for us. His unmerited favor and undeserved rescue and salvation. See, God didn't have to come to earth in that manger. He didn't have to come die on the cross. He didn't have to rise from the dead. He could have just stayed in heaven and said, my people have have disobeyed me. Let's start over. Hit the reset button. Control-Alt-Delete. Sorry, that's an old term. (laughs) And let's start over. But he didn't. And the manger shows his grace for us, his love for us. This is translated from, from the Old Testament when the same phrases use his, his said or his covenant love, his loving kindness for us. And it refers to the saving work of Christ. He came to be with us, but to save us as well, to offer us forgiveness if we repent, even though we don't deserve it. We say that we're interrupted by God's glory at Christmas. We are on a path before grace. Before we experience grace, we are on a path of sin. We are on a path of godlessness, a path that will lead to destruction. And God intervened. He came and He comes into our lives and He shows us His grace and He interrupts that path and gets us on a new path. If we will respond, if we will repent, if we will believe in Him, we can be transferred from a path that leads to death and eternity without God to a path of eternal life and relationship with God. That's glorious, guys. That's worth giving God glory for. One other thought about grace. We, we actually can't understand grace, I don't believe, until we've experienced it. Grace is one of those things we could talk about, we could study, and say, oh, that's wonderful, But until we experience, until we know that we don't deserve something or we do deserve judgment for our sin, and then we experience God's grace and his love, that's when we really understand it. When it gets into our hearts. And the problem isn't that some of us don't need grace. We all need grace. The problem is we don't think we need grace. And when we come to a point of saying, God, I'm a sinner. I need your grace. I need your love. I need your forgiveness. Then we can fully understand the glory of God's grace and how his glory is represented in his grace. Christmas shows God's glory because it shows incomprehensible grace. Grace, we we would never offer this kind of full grace. Grace that is really inhuman. It doesn't make sense for our human nature of getting even and justice and, and everything. Verse 16, we, we've been looking at verse 14. John 1, 16 says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And I love that verse because it's a reminder that God gives us grace, and then he gives us more grace, and then he pours out more grace, and then he dumps grace on us. And because Jesus is fully God, he has enough grace to give. Anyone here need grace dumped on them? Or is grace one time enough? This is a wonderful promise that says because he came, because his glory showed up in that manger, he is just dumping grace on us because he paid for the, all those sins on the cross. Kent Hughes eloquently tells a story of a young man who lived in the 17th century. He was born into a Christian home. And for the first six years of his life, he heard the truths of the gospel and was dearly loved. Sadly, his parents died. The orphan boy went to live with his relatives and he was maltreated, he was abused, he was ridiculed for his interest in Christ. The orphan couldn't tolerate that situation and though still a boy, ran away and joined the Royal Navy. In the Navy, the boy's life went downhill. He became known as a brawler, was whipped many times, participated in keyholing of some of his comrades. Finally, while he was still young, he deserted the Royal Navy and fled to Africa where he attached himself to a Portuguese slave trader. There his life reached its lowest point. There were times where he actually ate off the floor on his hands and knees. He escaped, then became attached to another slave trader as the first mate on his ship. But the young man's pattern of life had become desperately depraved. He stole the ship's whiskey, got so drunk he fell overboard. He was close to drowning when one of his shipmates harpooned him and brought him back on board. As a result, the young man had a huge scar on his side for the rest of his life. He could not get much lower. Finally, in the midst of a great storm off the coast of Scotland, after days and days of pumping water out of the boat, the young man began to reflect on verses he had heard as a boy and was marvelously converted. We have seen his glory full of grace and truth. The new life he found is reflected in these famous words he wrote. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Don't tell me you're too far from God that He can't save you, that His grace can't save you, because God, in His full glory, came at Christmas time to offer grace for whatever we've done if we turn to Him. There is nothing God can't handle. There is nothing that God can't forgive. And today, maybe some of you are thinking, I don't know. Christmas is nice. But can God's glory interrupt where my life is? It interrupted John Newton. It interrupted me. It interrupted many people here with all kinds of different stories. Jesus came to show grace. That is glorious. That is the glory of God. The other word there is truth. And we don't want to forget truth because it refers to God being true. He's true to Himself and true to us. And there's several different aspects of truth. What's the opposite of truth, kids? False, true, but if you tell the truth, what would you tell if it's the opposite? A lie, there we go. I just had to word it differently. (laughs) And and what this verse is saying is God is always truth. He is truth. His glory is truth. It's one of His attributes. But what that means is truth exposes the lies. Truth exposes the falsehood. And so if God is true, then that means He must confront sin. He must confront evil. He must deal with it. And this is the glory of the gospel because God in His truth and righteousness and justice does deal with sin. But because of His grace and His loving kindness, He sent His Son to do that for us. Because we can't. We can't deal with it on our own. And what a great God we have that is a God of truth and finds a way to satisfy that truth and justice with His love and with His grace that we don't deserve. When we say Merry Christmas, we should think, what an amazing grace I have from God who is a God of truth. But one other aspect of truth that we see when this phrase is used throughout the Old Testament and Scripture that I hadn't thought about before I was studying this, truth also refers to the fact that God is true to us. It can sometimes be translated faithfulness. And what we know from the manger is not only God wants to be with us, he wants to save us, but he will be faithful to us. He will be true to us. It's a statement that says God has not forgotten us. God has not left us alone. God has not left us to die because he's finally tired of putting up with our sin. God is faithful to us and his love for us and his covenant with his people. This story vividly portrays the glory of God. He is just and true. He's loving and he shows grace. He forgives and he saves. What a great God we have. On that night with the shepherds, God interrupted their work. He interrupted the night sky. He interrupted the dark to display his glory. This year at Christmas, as we celebrate, he is interrupting everything we do to display his glory by who he is and what he came to do. His presence, his grace, and his truth. We've reflected on God's glory which represents his presence and his plan of grace and truth and and I hope that as we think of Christmas his glory sort of blows our mind a little bit that this represents the very character the very heart of God but really so what so what unless we do something with that unless we get beyond that it's just a head knowledge and do something with it so what think about the characters in the Christmas story The shepherds, this amazing brightness came. The glory of God showed up and announced the birth of the glory of God. And so they went back to tending their sheep and did nothing. No. No, that'd be ridiculous. They were interrupted by God's glory and so they followed that and obeyed and did what God said and went and found the Savior and worshiped Him. And then these lowly people who have no voice hardly in society went and told everyone and became the boldest of society. Their lives were changed by glory. Think of Joseph. His life was interrupted by glory, the glory of this story, the glory of Christ's coming. He had a normal life, worked as a carpenter, learned the trade from his dad, planned to get married to a nice young girl, maybe have 6.5 kids, Sacrifice to Yahweh and worship Yahweh. His life was set. And then the angel showed up. He had found out his fiance was pregnant. It wasn't the plan, the hurt, the betrayal. And this angel said, Well, he's actually from God. He's going to, to, to save the world from their sins as if the shock of your fiance being pregnant isn't enough. So I'd like you to marry her anyway, and you're going to raise the Messiah. His life was interrupted by the glory of God's plan. And he had a choice. Do I say yes? Or do I say no and go and find another nice young lady and live a normal, peaceful, boring life? But he said yes. Think of Mary. Mary was interrupted by the glory of God's plan, by God's glory showing up and arriving. She hears from an angel, you'll be pregnant and it'll be from God and you'll bear the Messiah. You'll have the stigma and shame of being pregnant before marriage. People will talk. She had to be thinking, what will Joseph think? And then part of that plan is you will watch him be killed. But you will watch him rise again She didn't know that at that point, but that's what was coming as her life was interrupted by God's plans, by glory. And praise God, she said yes. Praise God, she chose to say, my soul magnifies the Lord. May it be to me according to your word. And she was changed. And we see over and over that she cherished these things in her heart and she passed those on. It really looks like Luke probably got some of his story from her. as She just shared her heart and we can go on the magi were interrupted by glory i mean they had to leave their normal life a nice cushy life uh, of of really well well off and well to do and journey through the desert on a camel for 2 to 3 months each way i've been on a camel before 30 minutes is enough and they did it to humble themselves and worship this king and they didn't know that they would end up putting their lives at risk with herod but god did And he interrupted their lives to show that salvation is for everybody. No matter skin color, ethnicity, um, class, no matter what your background is, salvation is for everybody. And each of these people played a part because they were willing to let God's glory interrupt their lives. They were willing to take interruptions, to see God at work, and to see interruptions for what they were, God Almighty working question i want to leave us with this morning is are we open to those kind of interruptions now i'm not saying another messiah is going to come and that you're going to be pregnant with jesus or or whatever i'm saying that god still interrupts our lives and he still allows interruptions to happen and we might say well some of those are just part of living this world some of those are just coincidence no no God is in the business of taking everything we go through and turning it to His glory. And God says, no matter what happens to you, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. And so what plans do you have? Even even this week, you have things lined. I would bet you have things lined up and we're going to be on this side of the family this day and this side of the family this way and we have to bake this by this day and cook this by this day and then we just crash afterwards. But you all know how family get-togethers work. You all know there's going to be interruptions. There's going to be unexpected things. And and so as we go into the next week and beyond, how are we going to view interruptions? As a chance to bring glory to God because God is working His glory in us? Or as annoyances? Are we going to get frustrated and show people that a, a Christian just gets angry and frustrated with life? Or are we going to show people that God's glory gives grace, gives truth to, the, to those around us. See, when I think of interruptions and how God uses interruptions, there's, there's three major ways I think he uses interruptions. And will leave you with these today. The first is he often interrupts our lives to break through, to break through something, to break through sin, to break through darkness. For those of you that have accepted him and come to him, he interrupted your life to do that. And he broke through and said, you're a sinner, you need Christ Come to me. And you chose to come to him. Some of you in this room right now have never made that choice. And God is trying in his glory and in the story of Christmas and what he has done. He's trying to break through to the stranglehold sin has on your life. And God uses interruptions for that. Even those of us that are believers that are, are, are just trapped in a sin or in, in habits that aren't pleasing to God, God will often use interruptions to shake those things up if we let them. So God uses interruptions to break through in our lives, status quo. He often uses interruptions to help us grow, to know God in a new way. I think that was a lot of Mary's story. As she she saw the Messiah in a whole new way, as she pondered these things in her heart. And those interruptions become chances to grow because we just don't grow that much in, in ordinary life. Now, yes, there is a slow progression and from degree to degree... But God uses extraordinary events to help us grow, sometimes hard events. But more than that, the third thing I think God uses interruptions for is to do his work. To do his work, not just in our lives, but in the lives of others. God might interrupt you with someone that needs to talk. God might interrupt you with someone that's hurting. And that interruption becomes a chance for you to show God's grace to them, God's glory to them that's manifested in His grace. How will you reflect His presence, His grace, and His truth, and His faithfulness this Christmas? That's the story of being interrupted by glory and not just knowing about glory. Praise God He interrupted our eternity. Praise God, He interrupted our path to death. Praise God, He interrupted our own worldview of truth and showed us His truth. But that also means He interrupts our plans. He interrupts our choices. He interrupts our purpose. This Christmas, we want to remember that. Be interrupted by glory. It's frustrating, it gets under our skin, and it is the best thing ever to use those interruptions for God's purposes. I'd like to go back and end by reading our, our verse again, John 1, 14, and then reading John three sixteen with it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Oh, Lord God. We are astounded by you revealing yourself to us at Christmas. That you came as a baby to be present with us, to show your grace to us, to show your truth to us, your faithfulness to us. That all of who you are is on display in the Nativity. Lord, we praise you and we worship you for that. Lord, I pray that that impacts us. I pray that this morning we would not go away with a head knowledge and say, oh, that was neat, but we'd go away looking for ways to show that grace and truth to others, to be present with others, Lord, to show your glory to others and so glorify you. Lord, I pray that we are different and interrupted because of Christmas. Lord, I pray that this week at our celebrations, we would be lights for you. We would make a difference for you, Lord that You would guard our attitudes and our words and our efforts, Lord. And may they be pleasing to You. Thank You for Your sacrifice on the cross to save us. In Your name, Amen.